and welcome back to the Amban. I'm Matt Ferreira. And I'm Ezra. And we got a good amount of news this week. Um, it's but- been a busy week in baseball for sure. I, we had some bargaining talks. We had the Hall of Fame announcement. We had a lot of things. Uh, but we're going to start with some more, some less serious things. The MLB The Show cover athlete will be coming out very shortly. And we saw a tweet, Matt more specifically saw the tweet, of who's a guy that's not a bona fide superstar in the league that you would like to see on the cover. Now, there's a lot of different options. And originally, my mind went straight to the World Series. Who showed up in the World Series? And I was thinking Jorge Soler hitting that mammoth bomb out in the World Series, completely changed the momentum. But he's not really on a team right now. He's a free agent. So I changed my thinking to a guy that I love so, so much. And that's Oriole center fielder, Cedric Mullins. You get the dude hits bombs. He hits for average. He makes incredible diving plays in the newly refurbished outfield at Camden Yards. Well, he will when it is season time. And I was, what better guy than Cedric Mullins to be on the cover? There's so many good pictures that you could use. Go O's. And for me, I was actually scrolling through the comments and I found some people that like I thought about, but then my mind went to the coolest player in the MLB. He not only has the swag to go along, he has the team with probably the baby, the coolest jerseys in the MLB definitely has the swag, the chains. He plays like a star and he's still young and up and coming. And I picked jazz Chisholm. Uh, there's so many pictures of him that he just, he could be the face of the MLB. And I think he's just one of the most exciting players to watch. And he's a good player on that up and coming Marlins team that we will be talking about later. I'm sure. Yeah. And speaking of some electric play on the field, some electric looks off the field. We have some news from the NFL actually, weirdly enough. And that is AJ Brown who was tweeting at the Padres and he was saying he wanted to maybe do a little Bo Jackson work and play in both the MLB and the NFL. And honestly, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of video of him from his baseball days, but he's got the frame and the video that I have seen, he hit dongs. So I wouldn't be opposed to seeing it. He said he would be better than Michael Jordan. So Let's see what he can do, honestly. Yeah, so I was actually watching some of his close out of high school earlier today, and he was absolutely hitting bombs like he belonged. I saw a few of his cage bombs clips, but even his bat flips, he looked like he could be a professional. I believe he actually got drafted by the Padres out of high school. Um, so there is that. I know he was an All-American in high school, but uh, Super 70 Sports tweeted in 1989, Bo Jackson had 32 homers, 105 RBIs, and an average five and a half yards per carry in the NFL. Think about that. And then A.J. Brown quote tweeted and said, sometimes I think about playing both sports again. At Padres, all I need is a workout. I still got it. And I think it would be great for the league to have another player that's playing two sports. I mean, you obviously have – you saw how Shohei took over the league this year with p- pitching and hitting. And I think adding an A.J. Brown to the NL West with the Dodgers, that would be into a young Padres team with Tatis. I think that would be a very exciting team to watch. 
Oh, for sure. And even if it doesn't work out, I would just love to see him get the workout because that's publicity in and of itself. And that's what the MLB needs right now, good publicity, because it's not getting a ton of it. And part of that reason is just obviously the lockout, but also they're just trying to change the game so much. And they're, they're even adding robo umps to some AAA games this year. And it's like, I don't like it. I think that it's a little ridiculous. Part of the game is human mistake. Obviously, we all hate on Angel Hernandez for sucking at being an umpire. But look, it's a game and people make mistakes in games. Players make mistakes in game. There's errors. There's balls that are watched right down the middle for strike three. And I just I've never been a fan of the idea of robo umpires and I'm still not. And I think that Manfred, who we all generally despise, is pushing for it so hard, which is just another reason that I'm put off by it. So we just got to see how they try and implement it. And how are you supposed to argue with a robo umpire if it's still a wrong call? Like there's still a chance of that happening. And it's just I don't think it's a good look for the league. Yeah, so MLB is currently seeking personnel to operate the system at ballparks for the Isotopes, Charlotte Knights, El Paso Chihuahuas, Las Vegas Aviators, Oklahoma City Dodgers, Reno Aces, Round Rock Express, Sacramento River Cats, Salt Lake Bees, Sugarland Skeeters, Tacoma Rainers. So a lot of teams there to be involved with this, and it's interesting to point out that in the Arizona Fall League, they've started using the robo-umpires, and it's been atrocious. Um, like Ezra said, you can't really – it's hard to argue with someone who's not actually calling the balls and strikes. And you don't know how the algorithm may work where some umpires will give you a pitch on the black, but some won't. So it's – and where the algorithm would be one way or the other, you can't really have both. So it's interesting to see – how the human aspect getting taken out could affect the game going forward. Yeah. And I just think that there, there's obviously a lot of consideration that has to go into it, especially to put it into the MLB. I think that a big part of the MLB is also the jobs that it opens up and umpires need jobs too. Like, obviously they're pretty well off for themselves considering they work for the MLB but you can't just put them out of a job. And even if you were still to give them the job, you would kind of dock their pay if the robot was making the calls for them all the time. I just don't think it's a great look. I don't think it'll help the game very much. I remember when I was little, a big part of the game that I really enjoyed, which was still few and far between, but guys getting real pissed off at umpires seeing managers kick dirt into the 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 shoes of the umpire and throwing bases all over the place because they're not getting the calls they wanted throwing buckets of balls onto the field it's just there's so many parts of the game that that just takes away that a lot of us really love to see and that's why I'm just very against the robo umpires also maybe a little biased because it's a Rob Manfred idea and who really likes Rob Manfred that much. Yeah, I forget if it was a blog or a tweet by Hubs. I know it was by him at Barstool. But he was I was reading something that he said that was like there's games where obviously not every game in the MLB is important with 162 in a season, but there's games that like it's kind of like fun just to blame the umps for everything. Like when something bad happens and like 
it obviously like a July game where it doesn't mean a whole lot because it's not in the playoff race yet, but there's still like you still want to watch it. Like there's games that could, like, it could be fun to just go off on the ups and watch players go off on the ups. Like it's something that's going to be interesting to see get taken out of the game and how it's going to affect the game. And it'll affect the temperament of players for sure, just in general, because if guys can't argue, what are they going to do? They're going to go break their bats in the dugouts and they're not going to yell at people on the field. And we all like to see a little, little heated retort. We like to see those, those confrontations between player and umpire manager and umpire or manager and player. If the manager's mad at the player for getting mad at the umpire, there's a lot of things that are taken out of the game and I'm just not a big fan of it, but that will bring us to our next point, And that is a, some huge news in the MLB sphere. And that's the hall of fame. The results came out. We talked about it last week on who we thought was going to get the call and who we didn't think was going to get the call. And well, we got one, right. And that was the only guy that got in this year. And that's, Big Poppy David Ortiz. Now, a lot of people are really unhappy about this. Not because Ortiz got in, because the numbers definitely say that Ortiz should be in. But that there are two guys on, who are on their 10th year on the ballot who did not get the call. And that's Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. The career leader in home runs and career leader in Cy Young wins and Bonds and Clemens, respectively. Neither of them got in. That now leaves us with the home run leader, the career hit leader, and the career Cy Young leader not in the Hall of Fame. And it's just kind of a travesty. I think that, you know, with all of the PED usage of the time and the PED use that we all know that Bond and Clemens had you done, we know that they did it. It's still a bit of a shame to see them not in the Hall of Fame and will not be in the Hall of Fame because unlike Pete Rose, who still has a chance later in his life, because he's technically never had his time on the ballot because he was banned from the Hall of Fame, we won't see Bonds and Clemens Sorry. in there. And it's just, it's a, it's a sad day in baseball. So that's, that's what all I've got on it. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I mean, I can't believe Bonds and Clemens didn't get in. I thought for sure... Until the last minute when I saw their like where they were at percent wise, I thought for sure they were going to get in. Um, with they were trending over seventy five percent until the private ballots were re- released, which is when I thought they weren't going to get in because I know last year before they only got forty percent of private ballots, and I thought it was going to be a similar number once again. So I mean, Bonds ended up with sixty six percent, and Clemens ended up with sixty five point two. So. They were close, but they weren't at the same time, which is even more surprising to me. Yeah, and now there's a lot of controversy here, obviously with the positive uh, PED test in Ortiz's career, but he did get in, and I figure now is a good time to just talk about the career of David Ortiz as we know it, give him his due time, because he is now going to get that, that cast of that plaque not cast his plaque in Cooperstown. I mean, baseball reference tweeted out a little storyline. Of course he made his MLB debut with the twins, weirdly enough in 1997 and then signed with the Sox in 2003 after the twins had released him 
2004, the Sox won the World Series for the first time in 86 years with Ortiz taking home the ALCS MVP honors. We know 2013, he led the Sox to a third championship in his nine years with them. He was named World Series MVP, brought some hope back to the city of Boston after the Boston bombing, Boston strong. 2016 he is when he retired with his and in, in, in his last season, he led the majors in doubles, slugging percentage, and OPS just to cap off an illustrious career. So, Poppy, look, I know a lot of people are mad that it was just Poppy, but he did deserve to get in for sure. Yeah, for sure. Not only was he an insane regular season player with over 500 career home runs in a Red Sox uniform and, and in total, but... Also, I was reading a thing by The Athletic where they calculated the amount of pressure on a player on a certain amount of, like, at-bats. And the average was a one-point. It was on a 1.0 was average, and anything above was, like, above at, was like above average for pressure, and anything below was below average. And he had multiple hits in the postseason that were exceeding a 2.5, like, 250% updated, like, up the pressure, which was quite insane that – Multiple times he came through in clutch scenarios and one of the clutchest hitters in Red Sox history as, and as a kid, it felt like every time he was up, he was hitting a home run. So it was just, I was happy to see him get in, obviously as someone who's watched him play his entire career, but he's someone that deserved to get in first ballot or he was going to get in, even if it wasn't the first ballot. For sure. And from one Red Sox legend to another Red Sox legend, We have our guy, Roger Clemens, who we mentioned didn't get in, but he did release a statement on it, and it reads as follows. Hey, y'all, I figured I'd give y'all a statement since it's it's that time of the year again. My family and I put the Hall of Fame in the rearview mirror 10 years ago. I didn't play baseball to make it into the Hall of Fame. I played to make a generational difference in the lives of my family. Then focus on winning championships while giving back to my community and the fans as well. It was my passion. I gave it all I had the right way for my family and for the fans who supported me. I'm grateful for that support. And I would like to thank those who took the time to look at the facts and vote for me. Hopefully everyone can now close this book and keep their eyes forward, focusing on what is really important in life. All love. And I give the little horns up for those Texas fans, but that's not actually what it is. It's just a little piece out. And I think it's all class from Roger Clemens there. Look, he understood what happened. He understands why he's not in and he's just, he's taken it like a champ and you got to applaud him for that. Yeah. I think Clemens and Bonds, I think they understand what's happening and I don't think they really care that much anymore. I know Bonds hasn't, I don't think Bonds has said anything at least. I haven't seen anything, but they, they know that baseball writers hate them for cheating in the game itself even though they put up career numbers and historic numbers before they had even done anything so it's interesting i i honestly in general don't understand why the baseball writers don't vote for them because in one sense they're a reason why they actually not still have a job but why there's more jobs in baseball with them creating it to be a massive sport and the evolution of how home it's become a home run game now 
So it's something interesting to look at to see how it's going to go forward with players who have been caught PED with PEDs and tested positive for that. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we can continue to talk about, but let's go down the list again, just through the guys that were a little closer. I know Scott Rowland is on his either fourth or sixth year on the ballot, and he got 63%. That's really giving him a chance to make it in later down the line. I know Bonds and Clemens went up almost 30% over their time in on the ballot, so there's definitely a chance for Scott Rowland. The two guys that I'm still going to push down everybody's throats and Helton and Wagner deserve to be in at 52 and 51%. And there's other guys farther down, A-Rod. Everybody loves to hate on him, but he got 34% of the votes. That surprised me. Yeah, I was very surprised by that too. And another guy that I was surprised got such a such a low percentage was um, was Manny Ramirez. I thought he would get a little more as well. And then, I mean, Jeff Kent, who a lot of people are thinking is just getting absolutely obliterated by the writers, really, for no reason, only at 33% of the vote, when you could definitely make a chance, uh, make a case for him being in there. And let's, if we drop down to the bottom of the list, there's the guys falling off of the ballot, Joe Nathan, Tim Hudson, Lincecum, Ryan Howard, Mark Teixeira, Justin Morneau, Papelbon. Pierzynski, Crawford, and Peavy all got no votes. Bonds and Clemens and Schilling, obviously, were on their last year, and so was Sammy Sosa. So they will not be on the ballot again. And it's just most of those make sense. Some guys that we were talking about last week who had the chance to fall off but didn't, you have Andy Pettit, who ended up actually getting 11% of the votes. So he got a lot of those private ballots. Jimmy Rollins also got a lot of the private ballots along with Bobby Abreu, Mark Burley, and Torrey Hunter, which was actually the most surprising to me that Torrey Hunter stayed on the ballot with 5.3%. I wouldn't be surprised if he falls off next year, but, you know, good on him, I guess, for, for keeping, keeping his hopes alive at least a little longer. And it's just, you know, these guys are all playing for our entertainment for so long. So you got to give them all props for what they did for the game. Yeah. I think someone that I don't know if you mentioned or not, but that I thought received a little vote was Gary Sheffield. He's someone that I thought was going to be in the hall of fame easily. And he only got 40% of the vote this time around. And once again, with a rod, I know he's one of those players like bonds and Clemens that have tested positive for PEDs, but he still is, I believe, fourth all time in home runs with 696. So, like, and he was a great player on all every team he played on the Mariners, Rangers, and Yankees. So, I'm surprised he didn't get a little bit higher. But yeah, I mean, I'm also surprised Hunter stayed on. I there's a few players I would like to stay on for a second time around, but I can see why they're not like Linthicum. Um, but yeah, that's really the only one, I, if we're being honest. And the only reason that he even got some votes is because of those two or three just fantastic years. Other than that, I mean, when have we really even heard from him besides for when he got called back up to the angels a few years back and did nothing. Um, But there's a lot of talk that we can continue to go through and deep dive into everybody's stats to see if they're deserving or not deserving this and that but we only got you for a certain amount of time. 
And there's a, the question is, there's a lot of guys that are going to be on the ballot next year. Uh, new guys like I know I remember Houston Street and K Rod are both going to be on the ballot next year, which will be interesting. I think K Rod has a really good chance. My guy JJ Hardy, uh, my mom's favorite player ever, really. She always, when JJ was in the league, would always say, You know who my favorite player of all, you, you know who my favorite player is? And I'd be like, Who, mama? And she'd go, JJ. And an Oriole legend, I mean, if you were in Camden Yards when J.J. Hardy came up to bat, it was now batting shortstop number two, J.J. Hardy, and the crowd would go wild. I know Matt Cain will make his first appearance on the next one. Uh, Red Sox slash Yankee Jacoby Ellsbury will make his entrance into the Hall of Fame ballot. The slow baller Jared Weaver will be there. And one of Matt's favorites, I'll let you take the reins on this one. <laughs> Yeah, there's for first off, there's a lot of the former Red Sox players that are going to be on this ballot next year. I mean, coming back from the years before, you have Manny Ramirez, um, John Lackey is going to be on there, um, for the first time. Mike Napoli, Mike Napoli, Jacoby Ellsbury, Aaron Hill, not well known as a Red Sox, but was a Red Sox for a little bit, Bronson Arroyo. Stephen Drew, like, D-backs Hall, D-backs uh, Mount mention. Rushmore honorable mention. But yeah, a lot of uh, 2013 guys on there. So I know for me it will be a heartfelt Hall of Fame voting. But I don't know how many new guys will actually get in. I don't think there's going to be a single first ballot Hall of Famer. The only one that there could be a case for is Carlos Beltran. I think you could make the argument for K-Rod as well, possibly. One of the best closers of all time. I actually saw a stat that he's top five all time in saves, which is actually very impressive to me. I didn't realize it was that good. Um, but other than that, I mean, you could make an argument for those two, but it'll be tough for them both to get in. I know Beltran's also going to be marred a little bit by that, uh, that Astros World Series controversy. So we'll see. I'd love to see... I, I just love watching the Hall of Fame ballots and how they stack up against my beliefs. So next year will also be a very interesting ballot. For sure. And now moving right along, there was a lot of talks on Monday and Tuesday this week between the MLB and the MLBPA. Um, on the 24th, Passan actually tweeted that the meeting was over and there is not a deal once again, and nor did anyone expect one. Um, there was a few moving pieces, though. Uh, the union made a broad proposal that included removing pieces of its past offers and that their meeting again tomorrow was good news and it was a lot of progress. Um, and then he tweeted about the next day how MLB agreed to accept parameters of a pre-arb bonus pool for top 30 war. MLBPA is seeking $105 million and the league offered $10 million. Uh, the MLB offered to raise minimum wage or for a player in the MLB to $615,000, and the MLB Players Association wants $775,000, so still a little far there. And MLB withdrew their offer to change the arbitration structure. Um, the, and the big takeaway was the pre-R bonus gets the best young players paid more, which is what the players wanted. Um, but the players are laughing at the $10 million offer for 
the pre-arb bonus. Yeah, and another tweet that came out, not from Passan, but from John Heyman, was that the baseball players union, the MLBPA, dropped the request to give players free agency before the six years. I'm not entirely sure what that offer was and how they wanted it to be implemented, but clearly talks are going at least somewhere if the MLBPA is actually willing to drop parts of their negotiations. And like I said last week, I mentioned that a lot of people are saying that it's not a two-way conversation. The MLB is not wavering and the MLBPA is just trying to get this done to get their guys paid. A tweet from Evan Drellick was that an MLB official called the dialogue today, referring to the talks on Tuesday, a spirit called them spirited. And from Drellick's point of view, he says, put it another way, it was heated. So I know that heated doesn't always seem like a good thing, but if there's some emotion going on, they'll definitely, it's definitely pushing the narrative to get this done. And now on the MLB side, Manfred put out a statement, not, not an official statement, but it was, men, it was mentioned as something that Manfred proposed was that they're willing to cancel games. The MLB is willing to cancel games as long as the lock, lockout continues. And I just think it's a bad look. Again, it, tends, it seems to be a, a trend here that the MLB side, the owners, it's a bad look because you can't just go out and cancel games. Obviously, if it happens, it happens, but you can't do that in the middle of January or at the end of January, I guess. But you can't be saying that it's just a bad look and it's going to continue to be a bad look. And I think that Manfred is just getting lower and lower and lower and lower on people's list of likability. And that's, again, I'm going to say the same phrase over and over again. It's not a good look for him. Yeah, I think the owners are going to try and use it as a tactic. Um, obviously, they're not going to care too much if they miss a few spring training games or even a, a little bit of the first month of the season money-wise. But the players who have been on shortened pay due to COVID the last few years are going to care a lot. Um, so it could be something that the owners do to try and get the MLBPA to rush and take more of the owner's side on some topics on instead of waiting a little bit longer and having the players not get paid for their games. So it will be interesting to see what happens. I really hope that we get spring training back on time and that pitchers and catchers can report, but, we might have an interesting product on the field this season, if a product on the field. Yeah. And we're going to switch over to a little more lighthearted note again. So on the 24th of January, just four days ago, Zach Reimer of Bleacher Report put out his list of the top 10 best young cores in the MLB. And Matt, you sent this to me very heated. You said, what in the world is this? This is an awful list. The list goes from 10 to 1, Tigers, Brewers, Cardinals, Guardians, Braves, Astros, Rays, Marlins, White Sox, Blue Jays. Now, the top of that list isn't bad, I don't think, at least parts of it. But it just, it's not very, it doesn't make any sense. Now, obviously, I looked through the article, and Reimer did it based on projected war for the 2022 season. And then added a little extra for prospects that are looming that might be coming up soon. And now I didn't think it was that bad until I actually looked into it. 
So we decided today that we were going to make our own lists for the episode of the arm barn. And now I guess I'll start off with the number, with my number 10 best young core. And that's the Marlins. Now I know Matt, I'm pretty confident that you have yours a lot higher on the list, but hear me out. Look, off of this list, it's based on the projected war. Now, I know there's a lot of guys. We talked about our guy, Jazz Chisholm. Love that guy. Fun to watch and will be a star in the league. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, lots of pitchers. Trevor Rogers, who maybe could have won NL Rookie of the Year this year. We have Sixto Sanchez just waiting in the, waiting in the wings of the minor leagues right now. There's a lot of guys. But look, I think that of all of the guys on that list, other than Sixto, Trevor Rogers, and Jazz, I don't think any of these guys really have as well, at least I, I would think there's obviously a chance, but compared to the other teams on this list, I don't really know if they have that star power waiting in the waiting, waiting in the wings. And I should say, going back to the article that Reimer put out, it is 26 and under going for the 2022 season. So that's what he qualifies as a young core. So that's why I have the Marlins there. There's a lot of guys, but I don't know how much star power there is compared to the other teams that I've got on the list. Yeah. So I actually have, well, I'll get into my Marlins talk later because they are a lot higher on my list. Um, I think their young pitching is hard to look past. Um I'll get into it more when I guess when we get there. So I'll just I'll do my number 10 now. And I have my hometown team, the Boston Red Sox. I think they obviously have some players that have tons of potential endeavors, Verdugo, Duran, Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, even Colton, uh not Colton Wong, uh Connor Wong, the guy that we got from Mookie Betts. I mean Jeter Downs waiting him. Waiting in the minors right now. Yeah, definitely a bunch of guys there. They also have some solid players like Dalbeck, Christian Arroyo, Franchi Cordero, Yairo Munoz, um, Darwinson Hernandez, Connor Siebel. They're going to be solid MLB players, and I think they're, they're going to fit right in on the MLB roster this coming up year. Uh, I know we saw a bunch of them last year. Dalbeck came into his own at the end of the year. Cordero struggled, but we've seen power and speed from him, and that's why we traded for him. Duran's obviously he's gonna have to try and fit into a stacked outfield up there, but and then Munoz broke the minor league hitting streak last year. I mean, so it's gonna be interesting. Darwinson's one of those guys that he throws absolute heat, but he has no clue where it's going. So if he figures any any sort of command out, he will be good. So I think the Red Sox have a lot of guys that could figure it out and be stars in the next few years, and that's why I have them at my number ten. Yeah, so I also have the Red Sox on my list, a little higher up than you did, though, Matt, which surprised me. I thought you were going to put yours a little higher considering it was the hometown team. But I'm going to stay in division for my number nine pick, and that is the Tampa Bay or St. Petersburg Rays. Now, again, just like the Marlins, I think that there's a lot. They, they were actually fourth on Reimer's list, and I bumped them down the list a little bit. Because, again, there's not a ton of superstar possibility there, but you cannot deny Wander Franco. He's 
incredible. He's only 20 years old as of now. But then you have other guys, Francisco Mejia, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Taylor Walls. And that's not even getting into the fact that Austin Meadows is still under the young idea. And Shane Baz looming in, in, the, in the minor leagues as a, as a prospect. Look, there's a lot of guys here, but Wander Franco really just put it over the top for me. I had to bump him up. I had to at least include the Rays on my list here because I just think that that enough, that was just enough to, to propel them onto my list at number nine. So I love the Rays and I love what they're doing for baseball, but I did not have them on my list. Um, the, what I looked really into was potential in these players when they reach their prime and how many guys there are. And looking at the Rays, like you said, Franco, I mean, other outside of Franco, I don't see a lot of these players getting a lot better than they are right now with Austin Meadows already being 26, Taylor Walls, Mejia's 26 as well. McClanahan didn't have that great of a season last year. I mean, I think Shane Baz is going to be a great player, but once again, not we haven't seen what he can do at the major leagues yet, or we've seen a small sample of it. And I think Franco, I've well talked about, is one of my favorite players in the league, and I think he's going to be a star, and I hate that we have to play him in our division every year. But I think that the Rays strive for those older players that can put up good seasons of one-year contracts like last year with Michael Walker, and I think that's where he really thrives. And with that, I did not put them on my list. So... I'm going to jump into my number nine, which people might be surprised about on how low they are, but I had the Padres. I mean, Fernando Tatis obviously is the big key part of this, but they also have some players in uh, Kim, the other shortstop who they signed, Trent Grisham, uh, Jorge Mateo, Luis Campusano, and then they got some pitchers that are pretty good too with Chris Paddock and Ryan Weathers, who was a guy that was supposed to go to Vanderbilt and ended up getting caught up to the MLB and was the youngest player in the MLB for a while. And their weathers once again has gotten two, three years of MLB experience and he's only 21. So I think there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of potential. We've seen Paddock break out. I mean, he had a down year the past two years, but I think there's still a lot there. Grisham, I think is a great player. He's got speed and power. And I think he thrives in San Diego and we, only God knows what Tatis can do at this point. So it'll be interesting to see how they all turn out. Yeah. So Padres, just like my version of the Rays, neither of us had our number nine picks on the young cores. Now it's not because I don't rate any of these guys because Tatis, Grisham, even Kim and Weathers are going to be great players, but it's just such a small amount of young players, quote unquote, that I just didn't feel like it was young core. It was just young. It was a few young players rather than a core. I think that that's most of the reason that I didn't have them on my list. And it's actually a very similar reason to what the writer of the article, Zach Reimer said when he gave them an honorable mention in his list. Moving to my number eight spot is one that was actually number eight on the list it's one of the few that i fully agreed with and that's the st louis cardinals now there's some real potential here i we mentioned tyler o'neill last week in the start bench cunt segment we you can throw the ball wherever you want the guy's gonna hit the ball out of the park he's so strong he's so good we got another outfielder dylan carlson who is going to be 
a very consistent player in the league. Tommy Edmond came up recently and played an incredible infield for them. Edmundo Sosa, not really a guy that I immediately thought of, but the big name here for me is Jack Flaherty. He's year in, year out a Cy Young candidate, and I think that he's just going to get better. He's only 26. He's got a few more years left to really reach that potential, and I think he'll find it. And there's the the team around them is really complimentary. The the older veterans, Arnato and Goldschmidt. I think that all of that combined is making is really what helps this core get into my top 10 here because of how good of a compliment they will be and have for themselves to really push that young that young core of O'Neill, Carlson, Edmund, and Flaherty to the forefront to maybe win the Cardinals another title soon. Yeah, so I, once again, don't have the Cardinals on my list. I feel like, like I said earlier, I looked a lot into potential on this for a young core and like a team that could stick together for a while. So players like Tyler O'Neill and Jack Flaherty and Tommy Edmund, who are still, that are that 26 and reaching their prime, um, they're players that I didn't really consider to be a part of a young core, so to say. So I don't have the Cardinals on mine. But at my number eight spot, it wasn't, so to say, the total of one good player, but the amount of young players that are on this team. And I have my number eight as the Cleveland Guardians. I mean, for hitting-wise, pretty much their pretty much their entire starting lineup was under 26 with Bobby Bradley, Ahmed Rosario, Miles Straw, Josh Naylor, Fran Mil Reyes, Oscar, Oscar Mercado, Andres Jimenez. And while there's not a lot of big names there, so to say, I mean, Fran, Fran Mil Reyes has got tons of raw power. Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario are great middle infielders. Bobby Bradley raked last year. I think they have a good amount of potential in that lineup to go along with Jose Ramirez and another star they could trade for. But what really threw them into mind is the pitching. They got Cal Contral, Zach Plesak, Aaron Seville, Tristan McKenzie is a big name. And then Eli Morgan's not a really big name, but then you got James Karinchak, who's been up and down the last few years, but I still think he could be a solid reliever. And then Shane Bieber, who won the Triple Crown in 20, Triple Crown and Cy Young in 2020. And then Emmanuel Class A, who had a 102 mile per hour cutter and was in the thing for rookie of the year last year. They just have a great young core. Yeah, the Guardians are on my list quite a bit higher up than you had them, though. I'll, I'll get to where they are on my list later, of course. But, I mean, that pitching youth that they have, I didn't even realize Shane Bieber qualified under this young core until I started looking into it. I was thinking Tristan McKenzie, Class A, like those guys, Karnachak, um, and Plesak and Quantrill, those were the guys that came to mind. And then you realize they have a triple crown winner for pitchers and a Cy Young winner who's still 26. Naturally, this year, of course, this year he didn't have the best season, but he did win the Cy Young. And I think he totally could do it again, which is why they're way up on my list. And obviously, I love the Franimal because what a nickname that is. Now, going to my number seven is a team that I, there was not a a plethora of young players really but two really just incredible players plus some very important playoff pieces this past season and that is the Houston Trash Strohs um Kyle Tucker 
was first team all MLB this year for good reason. He's a great player and I don't think people really realize how good he is. One of the most underrated guys in the league, in my opinion, obviously I don't think he should have been first team. I think he should have been second team and Cedric Mullins should have been first team, but we can get into that another time. But Kyle Tucker, big part of why the Astros made it to the world series this past year. And then you move from the outfield to a guy that can play outfield, but is the DH and that's Jordan Alvarez again, rookie of the year recently and is just oh my, what a hitter he is. He can hit for power. He can hit for consistency with average. He gets on base no matter what it seems like and was a huge part of the World Series run, the World Series appearance this year. And then you have guys like Luis Garcia and Jose Arquiti who also fall into this youth category who were huge for them in the playoffs. Obviously, they had a few off games, but everybody has an off game. I Guys on the injured list like Jake Myers and then prospects like Jeremy Pena these guys are going to be big and there's not a ton of names that I just listed but all of these guys will be very important for the future of the Astros and that's why I put them at my seventh spot yeah I once again don't have the Astros on my list I mean I agree that they have good players in Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez Garcia and your kitty are going to be good but I just don't think they have a, a the amount of to make it a young core. I feel like they have a good two players, but I don't think it's a core, so to say. And going into my number seven, it's in the same division, and I actually have the Seattle Mariners. And once again, it's just by the amount of players they have that could break out at any minute. I mean, they traded for Abraham Toro from the Astros. They got Ty France over there, J.P. Crawford. That's pretty much your entire infield job. Be that young and already debated, like trying to fight for a playoff spot. Then you got Kalanick in the outfield, Lise Torrens, Jake Bowers, Jake Fraley, Taylor Trammell is a good player that they got from the Padres. Kyle Lewis, who was hurt all last year, but almost won rookie of the year a few seasons ago. And then even in pitching, they got Chris Flexen, who broke out last year, and Logan Gilbert, who had a great year. So I think there are some players there that definitely are underrated due to the team they're on and that they could fight for a playoff spot next year. Yeah, I didn't have the Mariners on my list. They didn't really even cross my mind, honestly, when I was thinking of it. But they do have a lot of guys that could really make up the majority of their team for the future. It's just like you were like you were saying earlier when we were talking about the Rays other than Wander Franco. I don't know how many of these guys will actually end up being like true stars. Obviously, we all expect Kyle Lewis to come back better than ever. Jared Kelnick is, was the number one prospect for forever, it seems. And he definitely has a chance to do that. But I feel like a lot of these guys are not necessarily uh, one-hit wonders because they're major league players. They're fantastic. But I don't know how, how likely it is for them to have a very consistent prime as opposed to guys that we expect to have primes like that, like Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, Wander Franco, Jazz, and other guys that we will mention later on in our lists. Now, moving into our six spots, this is where I have the Boston Red Sox. Now, Matt, you went in depth on the, on the Red Sox earlier, so I'm not going to bore you all with the details, but Dahlbeck, is huge came up huge this past season two guys 
off the bump that I think are really underrated are Hauk and Whitlock. Both of those guys are going to be fantastic for the Sox for years. And then there's guys that you don't even realize are still young. I didn't realize that Devers was still under the age of 27. I thought he was like 28, 29. And he's still 26. He's still a young 24. Sorry. He's still under the age of 26. Then you have Verdugo who also seems like he's been in the league for forever and is still a young guy. And these guys, those two are already bona fide stars. And we can only imagine what these other guys will do. If Franchi Cordero can put it together, if Jaron Duran can cut out the strikeouts of his game, we could see a stacked lineup for the, for the Sox to go along with guys like J.D. Martinez if he stays and other huge parts of that team right now, J.B.J. in the outfield now. There's a lot that I can see going well, and that's why I had to put them a little higher on my list than you did, Matt. Another team that we haven't even mentioned yet, who's my number six spot, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they have some players that have been stars for a while in this league, so under 26 with Will Smith, Cody Bellinger, who's already won an MVP, Gavin Lux, who was the top prospect in baseball at one point, uh, Walker Buehler, who's almost won Cy Young twice now, Julio Urias, who came into his own, and then Dustin May, who was one of the one of the great players of the 2020 run, uh, unfortunately got Tommy John. So we'll have to see how he bounces back from that. And Bruce Gradrall, who's been one of the best relievers in baseball since the Mookie Mets trade. So I had to put him on there. I know I kind of, it's kind of against what I've been going against with the amount of stars under, or not stars, but the amount of potential under 26, but it was hard to ignore the amount of stars that they already have under 26. Yeah, the Dodgers I didn't even think of putting on my list just because I didn't think that any of these guys were eligible for this kind of list. I still don't think that I made the wrong decision. I'm going to stick with it. But, I mean, Bellinger, Bueller, Lux, Meg, Orius, Gratterall, Will Smith is one of the best catchers in the league. I don't think anybody gives him credit for that. But it's definitely a reasonable thing to do to put the Dodgers on the list. Now, moving into number five, a team that we actually have in common on our list is the Washington Nationals, who did not get mentioned in the BR Walkoff article. Now, one of the best players in the league, one of the best outfielders, and that's saying a lot in the league, is Juan Soto. And he is still a child compared to some of the guys that we've mentioned as being the best in the league. I mean, he's younger by years than half of these guys. He's only 23. And now, naturally, you can never say too much about him. He's one of the best true hitters. He has one of the best eyes in baseball, if not the best. And he's so good at just smacking the ball all over the place. We saw him come alive after the home, after he took part in the home run derby this past season and put himself into the MVP conversation. So that's a big reason as to why I had to push these, this young core, but also Victor Robles in center field, also a great player and he's going to be very big for them as they not rebuild but revamp this Nationals team and other guys that we have there like Kiebert Ruiz, Carter Keeboom and pitching on the off the bump Josiah Gray these guys are going to be big for the Nationals and I could see them making a very big impact very soon. 
Yeah, so one of the reasons why the Dodgers weren't in the top five on my list is because the Nationals stole their top two prospects in Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray in the Trey Turner-Max Scherzer trade. So they had to be up there. Obviously, like you said, Soto could put a team in the top 10 just by himself. And the addition of Carter Kimbu, uh, Victor Robles, you got Lane Thomas, and then Kieber Ruiz behind the plate and Josiah Gray pitching to him. It's just a pretty good core to have. Definitely top five worthy for sure. And now in my four spot is a team that you mentioned at your number eight, I believe, and that is the Guardians. They're in my top four because you cannot say enough about the pitching depth that they have and the pitching depth youth that they have. I mean, I'm not going to throw it down your throat, but also a guy that we didn't mention is Savale. Um, he was amazing. Tristan McKenzie, of course, class A. Andres Jimenez, even Stephen Kwan in the outfield is another guy that could be really important for them. They have a whole lineup, like we mentioned, the Franimal, but Shane Bieber just pushed them into the top four for me. That's why I had them so far up my list. So my number four was the team that I was surprised you had at 10 earlier in the Marlins. And I know I said I was going to say it, so I'm going to talk about why they are my number four. I mean, like I said, Jazz Chisholm, one of the coolest and not because he's cool, but because he's one of the top prospects in the league. Ison Diaz, I know he's getting older and he got outshadowed by Jazz, but he's still a solid player. But they got some bats still coming up in Jose Devers. But what threw me over the top was their pitching. You got Alan Contara, who's been really good for them. Uh, I keep forgetting if it's Taylor or Tyler Rogers, who almost won Rookie of the Year last year. Pablo Lopez has been really good last year. They traded for Jesus Luzardo. Edward Cabrera came up and in his debut, pretty much pitched a six-inning shutout. And then you got players in their bullpen like Anthony Bender and Zach Pop, who've been underrated the last few years. And I think their pitching will be the top in the league, and it's one of the teams I can't wait to see develop. Yeah, and so moving into our number three spot is actually another one that we have in common, and that's in the White Sox. I think that a reason they were actually number two on the list from BR walkoff, but a reason that I had to bump them down was because of the teams that I had to put at number one and two, who we actually have in common, but the white Sox really don't have any prospects at this point. It is win now for them that, but I mean, they could win. Now we talked about Dylan cease. I don't remember if it was last episode or the episode before and Michael Kopech who are just so good off the bump, but then you look at the hitting that they have under 26. I mean, Luis Robert is just a freak of nature, probably built in a, in a lab because of how just genetically superior he is. Eloy Jimenez, again, built in a lab. Johan Moncada is one of, one of my favorite players to watch. He's very underrated in my opinion and is a top infielder in the league and then you got big pop in to go along with robert and elo jimenez and andrew vaughn and gavin sheets yeah i think the white Sox they were my number three as well as ezra said they have a lot of potential but they also have a lot of downfalls Moncada is a great player and i love watching him former red Sox was the number one prospect in baseball at one time but he strikes out a lot i think he's on pace or almost on pace to be the all-time leader in strikeouts. Um, Andrew Vaughn's a good player that I still haven't seen enough of yet to really make a judgment on. 
Uh, Luis Robert at one point was compared to be the next Mike Trout was before his injury was one of the top prospects in the league. Eloy Jimenez, that guy just hits every time he sees the plate, never mind, gets up to it. And then you got role players like Gavin Sheets. And then you got their bullpen, who's one of the best and still pretty young with Michael Kopech, Garrett Crochet, who throws heat, Cody Hewer. And then starting pitching, you got Giolito, who I believe he threw a no-hitter. I believe he almost won Cy Young a few years ago. And Dylan Cease was a strikeout machine. So I still have them as my top three, even though they have a little bit of a downfall in their stars. Now, the number one and the two, we will go over both of the teams that we have both first, and then I think we'll talk about where we had them. The first team that we both have is the number one team on the best young cores list from Bleacher Report, and that's the Toronto Blue Jays. Need I say more? I mean, Vlad Guerrero Jr. naturally has got to be mentioned. He's only 22, and he's probably he's he's one of the best players in the league much less on this list I think he's easily top three of the players that we will mention today with other guys but then you have a guy who's arguably a top five shortstop at this point and Bo Bichette 23 years old Kevin Biggio 26 I feel like I'm mentioning a lot of former MLB players right now crazy how that works Danny Jensen is still 26, and another catcher behind the plate, Alejandro Kirk, is 23. Manoa is 24 off the bump, and so is Nate Pearson at 25. They have a plethora of hitters, a plethora of pitchers, and all of them are pretty much already stars. Yeah, uh, like, I mean, I don't even have to jump into the hitting. Like I said, Vlad, or like Ezra said, Vlad almost won MVP. Bichette's top shortstop, which is the one of the hardest positions to play, Biggio has been a solid lefty bat in the infield. And then the duo behind the plate between Alejandro Kirk, who just hits, and Danny Kent, uh, Jansen, who's more of a defensive catcher. Um, they have a good prospect in Kevin Smith that made a few starts, I believe, last year. Um, he's still pretty good. I think he's going to be something if they can fit him into the infield. And then I watched a lot of Alec Manoa last year, and I love the kid. I think he's going to be a star in the league. I know right now he's at – back end of their rotation with Barrios and uh, Hinjin Rue. So I think he, but I think he'll be a top player and I liked watching him last year. I actually had him in top of the rookie of the year voting. Nate Pearson's another guy who's been talked about for years now as we can't wait to see him come up with how fast he throws and just the command he has. And then even the bullpen, Anthony Kay was a, another name that was under this, that qualified for this list that I couldn't leave out. And then there's the other team that we both have in our top two, and that's the Atlanta Braves, who are sixth on this list. And I don't understand how you could possibly say that because Ronald Acuna Jr. is 24 and was an MVP candidate until he got hurt. Then you have Mike Soroka, who was sixth in Cy Young voting a couple of years ago, also 24. You have Austin Riley, who was top five in MVP voting this year who is 24, Ozzie Albies, who is arguably the best second baseman in the league. I would probably put him at two behind Marcus Simeon at 25. Then you have Yanoa, who is 20, Huascar Yanoa, who is 23, and Ian Anderson, who is also 23. These guys won the World Series without the their best player, arguably, in Ronald Acuna, and their best pitcher, arguably, in Mike Soroka. And these guys are still young, still ready to dominate. And it's just 
it, it's a testament to how good that young core was because they were able to win without the biggest name in that young core. And now, Matt, you wanna you have anything else to say before we reveal our Definitely. picks? I think there's a few names on the Braves that you didn't mention that this guy didn't even look into, it seems like. And Christian Pache, who was a guy that they literally moved Acuna Jr. over to right field for because they thought he was going to be this good. I believe he's still only 22, so he still has a lot of time to develop uh pitchers that you said was Anderson and uh you know but in the bullpen Tuki Toussaint came into his own and Tucker Davidson were two big people in the playoffs and world series last year that have gained experience and I think they're a big part of why the Braves young core is so good and now the reveal of who is number one and who's number two and I'll tell you they are different so me and Matt obviously both had the Braves and the Blue Jays, but I had the Blue Jays at number two and I put the Braves at number one. What pushed me over the edge was obviously we know that Guerrero is an MVP candidate year in, year out now. Bichette might be also, but I just feel like the combination of Acuna, Albies and Riley is bigger and more important to that team than the combination of Guerrero, Bichette and Biggio. I have the Blue Jays at number one, and that was because I feel that not only is this team really young, but they also have a lot of versatility. Vlad could play first, third, and DH. Bichette is going to stay at shortstop, but he could play third or second if you wanted him to. Biggio can play second, third, outfield, shortstop if you wanted him to. Um, Jansen and Kirk, both are catchers and first baseman. Kevin Smith can go throughout the infield. And I feel like these guys just also have – not only do they have the leadership on their team, but they also have, uh, like Ezra said earlier, the leadership in their parents with Vlad Bichette and Biggio all being sons of former Major League Baseball players and Vlad and Biggio being sons of Hall of Famers that they have, they have the experience so close to them either through their team or through family that I think they will have the proper guidance to push them over the top. And speaking of Hall of Famers, it is time to get into our a little later than usual because we just love to talk baseball, Mount Rushmore. Today, we have two pretty historic teams, I would say, some historically bad and some historically good. Now, the first team is the Milwaukee Brewers. There is this is the team that I would argue is historically bad. I mean, they've never won a World Series, so. You tend to get that. Now, we're going to start off with the obvious one that both of us probably have in Robin Yout, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Hall of Famer, two MVPs, a gold glove, three silver sluggers. His entire 20-year career was spent with the Brewers. Again, his numbers retired. Finished his career hitting 285, only 251 home runs, but 3,100 hits. An on-base percentage of 342, an OPS plus of 115. He's the leader in war for the, for the Brewers franchise. He leads an offensive war position player war games played at bats played appearances. I'm not going to run through them all because I will keep talking for hours, but obviously Robin Young's got to be there. Yeah. Two-time MVP hall of famer. Uh, like as we said, I won't get into it in complete detail because he was an obvious one, but 20 years, all of them in Milwaukee, a uh, lifelong brewer and he had to be up there. Yeah, and my number two pick for my Rushmore is another one that I'm as 
expecting us both to have in Paul Molitor. I mean, again, a Hall of Famer, seven All-Stars, four Silver Sluggers, spent 15 of his 21 seasons in the major leagues with the Brewers organization. He had 160 home runs with them, 790 RBIs, 412 stolen bases, which really impressed me. A career average of 303 with them and an OPS plus of 125 in his time in Milwaukee. He's just an incredible player for most of his career. Didn't get as many all-star games as I really thought he should have. But Paul Molitor, again, another guy who naturally has his number retired for the Brewers, and that's why it was really easy to put him on my list. Also on my list, also the second name I had, all-time leader in stolen bases, Hall of Famer, a five-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, so he could hit and run, which is crucial. 15 years in Milwaukee and had to be on my Mount Rushmore. And now moving into the third guy, and that's actually a current player in Ryan Braun. And, I mean, an MVP, obviously, in his time. His number will most likely be retired. His career a little marred by a PED, by PED usage, but he also won a rookie of the year, five silver sluggers and six all-stars, all 14 years of his career with the Brewers. And it's just, he was the Brewer when you thought of the Brewers for pretty much the entirety of my life. I mean, he had his best slugging percentage of his career was actually his rookie year, not his MVP season. But he had almost 2,000 hits in his career, 352 home runs, nearly batted 300 over the course of his career, and OPS plus in his career of 134, which is really impressive. I didn't realize how high it was. In pretty much any offensive category that Robin Yount isn't leading in, it was Ryan Braun. I mean, home runs, strikeouts, but um, adjusted batting runs and adjusted batting wins. A lot of times you'll see Ryan Braun's name pop up on there. And that's why he was there for me for sure. Yeah, he was also my third. It was he was all-time leader in homers, the MVP and rookie of the year, pushed over the top with the 14 years, all of them in Milwaukee, lifelong brewer, Ryan Braun. For sure. And now my fourth and final name on the list is not one that you would have ever expected, but it's not even a guy who is known for being a player. And that is Bob Euchre. He has been the broadcaster for the Brewers since 1971, and he still does it at age 88. Actually just turned 88 a couple days ago, so happy birthday, Bob. But he's just a Brewer legend. He's been doing the radio broadcast since 1971, as I mentioned. He is in the Hall of Fame and... Of course, there's a good reason for it. He was inducted um, with the Ford C. Frick Award for recognition of his broadcasting career in 2003. And look, he's just so iconic to the franchise that I had to, he's even, his initials are retired for the Brewers. So that's why it was easy for me to put him there. Now for me, it's someone I didn't want to put on this list, but I had to. I couldn't ignore his stats. He's already in the top leaders of war for the Brewers with only a few years in Milwaukee. And it's Christian Yelich. Um, he's the all-time leader in on-base percentage slugging and OPS for the Brewers. In his few years there, he's won an MVP, and it should have been back-to-back MVPs. And he's gotten two batting titles, three silver sluggers, a gold glove, 
he just does it all. I know he had a down year last year, but he is one of the best hitters in the league. And I think he's, he is one of the best hitters in Brewers history in their short, in the short period he's been there. For sure. And I think that it was tough for me not to put Yelich on considering how much he's accomplished in such a short time. But I thought there was one guy that I needed to put on in my honorable mentions. And that is the Prince, Prince Fielder. Two home run derby championships, six all-star games, three silver sluggers, and an all-star game MVP, most of which with the Brewers. And he finished his highest in MVP voting with the Brewers twice, finishing third. Silver, two of his three silver sluggers were with the Brewers. He's just like Ryan Braun, one of the first guys you think of when you when at least for me, when I think of the Brewers. His career was tragically cut short by a back injury that forced him to retire. But in his seven years out of his 12 in his career with the Brewers, he hit 282 and hit bombs for days. 230 bombs in seven years with 656 RBIs. Little known fact, he has 16 stolen bases. That's more than two a year, so go Prince. But he is third all-time in home runs for the Brewers. And... Uh, the other two guys are Braun and Yount, and that's why I had to throw Prince in as my honorable mention. So this being the arm barn, I had to throw a pitcher in in my honorable mention, and I had Ben Sheets. Uh, he was one of the best pitchers in Milwaukee for a while. He's in their top war leaders, and he's a four-time All-Star. He had eight years in Milwaukee, and he had a season where he was the eighth in Cy Young voting. And I just think he had to get a shout out. One of the players in Milwaukee's short history that had had to be on there for me. And moving into our second set of the Rushmores, we have the Oakland Athletics. Now, we went from a team that was founded in 1969 and has been in every single division you could possibly think of to a team that has been in here in the majors for forever since 1901, 121 seasons in the league. They have over 9,000 wins and losses. So quite a historic franchise with a lot of black and white pictures on their all-time top 24 players lists. Now, Matt, I'll let you get started on who you have for the Oakland Athletics. So the first player I have is probably the best athletic of all time, Ricky Henderson, all-time leader in war, stolen bases, runs, walks, times on base. 14 years as an A, he won an MVP. Silver Sluggers, Gold Glove, 10-time All-Star. He's a Hall of Famer and won a World Series there. Um, all-time leader in stolen bases, so I had to put him on there. Also, all-time leader in runs scored, and I know a lot of people remember him for being super fast, but he also hit 279 in his career, had almost 300 home runs, had 3,000 hits, a career war of over 100. He, had, he has World Series under his belt. He's one of the best players of all time and one of the tr most true athletes of all time in my opinion he was just so electric and he played for pretty much every team imaginable but in his 25-year career he spent 14 of them with the A's and did not spend more than five years with any other team so obviously Ricky Henderson is remembered as an A his number is retired as an A so it was easy to put him on my list as well yeah, and my next, I had to throw my pitcher on there in Lefty Grove. Nine years with the A's. He was an MVP, two triple crowns with the A's, Hall of Famer. And while he doesn't lead the A's in a lot of their, like, pitching categories, he does lead a lot of them in a lot of the 
advanced categories such as adjusted ERA and adjusted pitching runs and win-loss percentage. So I had to put him on there for me. One of the best pitchers in ace history. Yeah, so I also did have a pitcher, but I did not have Lefty Grove on my list. I had the man with one of the best names in baseball history, and that's Catfish Hunter. Another guy whose number is, of course, retired, spent 10 of his 15 years with the A's. Actually, he was with them when they were the Kansas City A's. And so a Hall of Famer, Cy Young, eight All-Stars, five World Series in his career, three of which were with the A's. One of the most iconic looks in baseball, really brought back the mustache. But, oh my, was he such a good pitcher and so iconic to the success of the A's during their World Series runs. And that's why I have my pitcher on the list as Catfish Hunter. For my third person, I had one of the best catchers and third baseman of all time. It's Jimmy Fox. He's a Hall of Famer. He's the A's all-time leader in on-base percentage, slugging and OPS. He won a triple crown with the A's, two back-to-back MVPs. He spent 11 years in Oakland and won two World Series with the Oakland Athletics. The Philadelphia Athletics at the time, actually. But, again, we have a guy in common. And I also have Jimmy Fox on my list. Was a triple crown winner during his career. Had three MVPs, only two of which were with the athletics one of which was with your boston red sox but it was easy to put him on the list for me one of the best hitters of all time maryland native up go maryland apparently a 325 career average and a 163 ops plus but in his time with the athletics his ops plus was actually 175 his career ops for them was over a thousand his batting average was 339 and he slugged 640 over 11 years with the a's so that's why it was pretty easy for me to put jimmy fox up there now the last player on my route much more in my honorable mention i originally had flip-flopped and then when i was looking at their numbers i actually had to switch them so for the last player on my mount rushmore i have mark mcguire uh he spent 12 years in oakland which was more than i originally thought and remembered uh he's the all-time leader in homers for the a's with 600 and 363, the all-time leader in sack flies and the bats per homer. He won the Rookie of the Year. He has a gold glove and two silver sluggers, which shows how good he was on both sides of the field when he was younger. And he has that World Series to his name in Oakland that many will never forget. Yeah, and so it was definitely in consideration for me to throw Mark McGuire on my Rushmore. But he's not my rush on my Rushmore or in my honorable mentions because of the impressive resume, let's say, of probably a guy that not a lot of you would think of, but I have Connie Mack on my A's Rushmore. Obviously they were the Philly A's at that point, but he was the manager of the A's for 50 years. That's a half a century where he led a team from 1901 to 1950, Connie Mack was heading up the A's. In his time, only five World Series in 50 years, so that's one every 10 years, but nine AL pennants were won, and I could not believe it when I looked at the baseball reference page for the A's and saw that their winningest manager, Connie Mack, had 3,582 wins and had 3,800 losses. He was a manager for over 7,000 games. 
And that's why it was just, as soon as I saw that, I knew that Connie Mack had to be up there. The five World Series were just the cherry on top for me. Yeah, so my honorable mention will be the player that I originally had in my fourth, my Mount Rushmore. It's, as many remember, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. The 10 years in Oakland, he's the all-time leader in intentional walks. He won an MVP with the Athletics, uh, three times World Series championship, and he won the World Series MVP one of those times. So had to give him a little shout-out. Yeah, and we actually have the same honorable mention here in Reggie Jackson. I also have him there on my list with his 10 of 21 years of his career were spent in Oakland. A lot of people remember him as a Yankee, even though he only spent five years there. He is actually the all-time leader in strikeouts, which I wasn't aware of until I did a deep dive, but he had 262 for the A's, had 269 home runs in 10 years, 776 RBIs, he was really a full, a full four two tool player, five tool player, pardon me, with the A's. He had 145 stolen bases in his time there. One of the one of the most iconic players for the A's. And I'm very confident in putting him there. Obviously, his number is also retired for the A's. And that's really what put me over the edge on putting him as my honorable mention instead of Mark McGuire. And I think that will wrap up this episode of The Arm Barn. So thank you for listening. Go follow us on social media at Arm Barn Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And Ezra, anything else before you wrap up? Look, I just want to tell everybody to stay safe. It's getting a little crazy. And if you're in Boston, seriously stay inside this weekend because it's going to be crazy. Thank you all for listening. Have a good one.